Well, it happened. The ACC has expanded for the first time since welcoming in Louisville ahead of the 2014-15 season. If you thought Syracuse was outside the conference footprint, just wait till you get a hold of the flight plan to Northern California. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Tuesday, September 5th, 2023. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast and hashtag free Tez. I decided I'm just going to say it every show until it happens. Speak it into existence, right? Hey, my name is Isaac Shade. I'm your host. It's great to be with you. I want to thank you for making our show your first listen or watch every single day. You everydayers, great to have you back with us. If you're brand new to the show or a repeat guest, welcome in. Thank you for being part of this community. We're glad you're here. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on college or enter promo code locked on for a free water bottle. Looks a lot like this one with any purchase. You won't want to take off your bird dogs. We promise you that. Coming up on the show today, we are going to talk all about conference expansion, how it happened, what it means, what it's going to look like. And honestly, my favorite part of this whole thing, because I'm like a logistics geek, is I've postulated what I think the conference basketball tournament is going to look like now with 18 teams. And so we're going to wrap up the show today talking about that. Plus, I got a pop quiz about what's the longest trip now. going to be a lot of fun as we try to just figure out what this all means. So let's get right into it. I'm just going to handle this in like that reporting style of like what, when, how, why, all those questions, because I think that helps us to break it down pretty sensibly. So let's get into it and go through it. So in case you haven't heard, the what is that on Friday morning, there was a phone call amongst the presidents of the 15 member AC schools, 15, because it does include Notre Dame. And they voted to bring in Stanford and Cal from the Pac-12, which had been Pac-4 and is now Tupac, <laughs> uh, along with Southern Methodist SMU coming over from the AAC, the American Athletic Conference, means 18 total teams now for the ACC which is going to match the Big Ten for the largest conference in the country, at least as of now, because you know this thing always keeps going. So that is the what of all of this. The when, great question, two parts of it. When did it actually happen and when will the uh, new schools come in? As I just said, the call took place on Friday morning, and you probably recall that it had been rescheduled. Initially, it was supposed to be last Monday, but because of the events that happened on campus at North Carolina last Monday, which, by the way, still continuing to pray for and think about those of you that live on campus or in the greater Chapel Hill area, as long as, man, the family and friends affected by what has happened. Um, but because of that, that's why this call was rescheduled for last Friday morning. And um, so that's when the vote took place. Now, the, as for the changes, they're going to take place um, beginning next season, 2024-25. Now, I'm still trying to um, put the pieces together as to how that happened because what I had been told was that the deadline for making decisions for the 24-25 year was August 15th. My assumption is that that was in terms of outgoing schools, um, but that incoming schools, they are still allowed, you know, the, like that that deadline 
um, hadn't been reached yet. And so I'm still working to um, solidify that knowledge and will let you know if and when I do. So then how did this happen? Why, like, why hadn't it happened? How did it now happen? Well, in order to proceed with bringing in these three schools or any other schools, the ACC needed 12 of the 15 member presidents to vote yes. Again, presidents, chancellors, not athletic directors. We'll get to that in a little bit because I got an issue with how this goes. Um, and so all the word on the street had been that to that point, it was Carolina, NC State, Clemson and Florida State had been four no's, meaning that, you know, there were 11 yeses. Now, in terms of how many of those were firm yes and soft yes, it doesn't really matter because there were four firm no's. And so other schools could be like, yeah, of course, we, we want that. You know what I mean? Um, and so those were the dissenters, Tar Heels, Wolfpack, Clemson Tigers and the Seminoles. And so from all the from all the reporting we've read, ESPN's Andrea Adelson was the first person I saw to officially say this. And this was the expectation coming in, but it was NC State that was the one to flip their vote. That's not surprising to me. Clemson, Florida State, and the Tar Heels are the, the three kind of preeminent value brand, highest value brands, I should say, in the conference. And NC State has kind of been block voting with Carolina. And um, at some point, I think they realized like, hey, maybe we're not going to be able to ride on their coattails forever and they'll bring us along. And so I think for NC State, it makes sense to kind of flip their vote. I'll say more about why here in just a minute. Now, I, I didn't talk about this at the end of the last week, but I'll go ahead and do so now. <laughs> and you might have seen this, but on Thursday evening, Carolina's Board of Trustees issued a very strongly, strongly worded letter against the Tar Heels voting yes. And specifically, obviously, that would be Chancellor Kevin Guskowitz flipping his vote from no to yes. And so my assumption is that they issued this on Thursday night, knowing the vote or at least the conversation was happening on Friday morning. So as to say, hey, buddy, you better not be flipping that vote. Here's the content of that letter in case you didn't hear it. Quote, the strong majority of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill's Board of Trustees opposes the proposed expansion of the um, American Coast Conference, excuse me, the Atlantic Coast Conference to include Stanford University, the University of California, Berkeley and Southern Methodist University. Although we respect the academic excellence and the athletic programs of those institutions, the travel distances for routine in-conference competitive play are too great for this arrangement to make sense for our student-athletes, coaches, alumni, and fans. Furthermore, the economics of this newly imagined transcontinental conference do not sufficiently address the income disparity ACC members face. We'll get to that as well. Without ironclad assurances that the proposed expansion serves the interest of UNC Chapel Hill, we believe it should be voted down. Woo! I love that. Can't argue with any of it, quite frankly. And neither did uh, Chancellor Guskowitz. He still voted no. <laughs> so then the next question is the why. Why do this? Why, why bring in these schools that are one in the middle of the country in, in Texas, right in the heart of Dallas with SMU, and then in the San Francisco Bay Area. Well, to me, it is a clear suggestion of the strength in numbers approach that uh, the conference needs to take. I mean, you look at the Pac-12 that we've just now taken two schools from. 
having 12 schools, if you just start carving off a couple of those, man, it falls apart quickly. This is an opportunity for the ACC to kind of backfill in case some of these schools, not in case, let's, let's be honest, when schools like the Tar Heels or Clemson or Florida State do ultimately leave. And I, I think those schools that voted no are continuing to signal, hey, we're going to look for a better opportunity unless the ACC can meet this, um, some of the things we need to do to make it sustainable long term. So this is an opportunity for Commissioner Phillips to say, hey, let's say Clemson and Florida State do leave. That's okay. And I know that Cal, Stanford, and SMU are not the same brand that those two are, but there's at least strength in numbers. So that's what this is doing, is hedging against the possibility of any, any schools that may leave in the future. And then the other question of why does it work now, specifically now, but it, it didn't get done previous? Well, Again, the biggest issue here is the economic disparity to get up to the level of the SEC and the Big Ten. All the best projections have suggested that ACC schools will be $30 million annually behind the schools of those two conferences based on the new media uh, share revenue share agreements that they've both signed. Well, Pete Thamel's reporting suggests, Pete Thamel of ESPN suggests that um, because of what these three schools are forfeiting as they come in, and I'll talk more about that in just a second, it's going to net the conference an annual extra pool of around 50 to $60 million to be divided out amongst the member schools, the other 15 current schools. So uh, the numbers haven't been drawn up on this yet, but the expectation is that some amount of that 50 to $60 million pool will be divided equally amongst the 15 member schools in that some other portion of it will be withheld and then be used as on-field success incentive, probably solely for football success. But again, we wait to see what the results of that decision are. In the ACC, I wouldn't be surprised if, if some basketball money goes to that. But honestly, it, it sounds like it's going to be only for uh, reserved for on-field success incentives. And so the way that that pool has been achieved is that SMU coming in has said, hey, listen, for nine years, and originally we thought it was going to be seven. It turned out to be for nine years, we will take 0% uh, of the, the media revenue share. And that, that money that they would receive is going to go into this big pool. Now, here's the thing for SMU. Number one, there are some other monies that they'll get as a conference member, like um, from NCAA tournament units or, or some other smaller things that come in that uh, quite honestly should up should add up to about what they would have received as part of the AAC anyway. Not to mention, there are deep, deep pockets in the heart of Dallas that can help make up for this over the course of what is essentially the next decade as they as they try to keep up. And then as they um, get to a, a fuller share of media revenue, they'll be in good shape. And for SMU, I mean, it's like, hey, I'm willing to trade that to get up to the power conference level. I I can for that. And then as for Stanford and Cal, they're coming in at a 30% share and it will increase over time as well. But as for Stanford, I mean, this, we've talked about it. This is the athletic department with the most NCAA championships in division one history. And as for Cal, it kind of just feels like they're riding in on the coattails of whatever Stanford was going to do, we're going to do. So that's where these three schools are at and how the ACC is able to make up at least some of this 
um, economic disparity year after year up to the SEC and Big Ten. Now, you know, what, what again, what is that number going to be? We don't know yet. You know, maybe it's 15 of that 30 million and it, it's not everything, but it at least helps. Well, one of the biggest hindrances in bringing in these schools is what it's going to mean for the travel. We're going to talk about those numbers, what that looks like. And then a big question I have about why is it the chancellors and presidents and not the athletic directors doing the voting on this thing? We're going to look at all of that here in just a second. But before we get there, I need to tell you that this episode of Locked on Tar Heels is brought to you by Bird Dogs. It's football season, the temperatures are cooling off, and that's why I'm so glad I just bought some Bird Dogs pants for the first time. Y'all, they are insanely comfortable. I've been wearing these things all the time. I cannot get over it. So even if, though, you live is still really warm like it is where I live in Missouri, these pants are also thin enough that they keep me cool. I've been wearing them around southwest Missouri where it's still in the 90s right now. Yeah, it's atrocious. Also... I don't mind saying it. My wife is like, ah, Shade, I love the way those look on you. So, you know, maybe you're looking to catch somebody's eye just like me. Beyond that, I love that Bird Dogs use anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. Bird Dogs are functional for any occasion. Check them out. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on college or enter promo code locked on college at checkout for a free Bird Dogs water bottle that looks a lot like this for those of you who are watching. And that'll come with every order. That's birddogs.com slash locked on college for a free water bottle at checkout. You're not going to want to take off your bird dogs. We promise you that. Folks, make sure you check out Locked On's brand new football coverage thing called Locked On College Football Kickoff Live. It's coming at you every Friday, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern, and it'll air on every Locked On College YouTube page, including our own. College Football Kickoff Live is going to cover everything. Playoff implications, conference rivalries, all sorts of analysis from the, all the Locked On College hosts. So make sure every Friday you check this out, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern, College Football Kickoff uh, Live, every Friday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., right here on the Locked On Tar Heels YouTube page. You're not going to want to miss it. All right, listen, the distance of this thing is just stupidly absurd how far it is. I, I don't get that side of it. Um, if there were more West Coast teams, and maybe there's a West Coast contingent, but it's only these two schools and then SMU in the middle of the country. Honestly, pretty close to where I live. Dallas is about five hours away. Um, so my favorite conference realignment game to play is which is further. I actually did a poll on this on Twitter just to see if people wanted to play, play along. So I, I did all the maps and did all the math, and I just did it the driving directions from basketball arena to basketball arena. So as I guessed, the four longest trips are Miami to Stanford, Miami to Cal, Boston College to Stanford, and Boston College to Cal. Your job is to guess which is the longest. I'm going to stop and give you a second to guess, and then I'm going to tell you the answer. Do, 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 do. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, I'll go from shortest to longest. The sh shortest of those four trips is Miami, the Watts Coast Center, all the way to Stanford, Maples Pavilion, 3,025 miles, and I did it like driving directions. Uh, and then the second longest, Miami to Cal, the Haas Pavilion, 3,041 miles. This is just insane. And then the two longest, Boston College, the Conti Forum to Cal, 3,088 miles, and the longest, 
the Conti Forum, Boston College to Maples Pavilion, Stanford, 3,128 miles. Woof. That is so incredibly long. Now, specific to Carolina, here are those three trips and how long they are. SMU, uh, like for all three schools, here's how long they are. The Moody Coliseum, from the Smith Center to Moody Coliseum, 1,166 miles. That's long enough as it is, but is less than half of the other two trips. From the Smith Center to the Haas Pavilion, where Cal plays, 2,846 miles. But the longest trip Carolina will have to to take getting uh, Harrison Ingram back home to Stanford, uh, which is funny because he's actually from Dallas, SMU. That is funny. I hadn't thought about that before. But Dean Smith Center to the Maples Pavilion, 2,887 miles. Y'all, this is ridiculous and clearly does not have student-athletes' best interest at heart. Feels like we say that a lot, and it's true. Here's another question I have, by the way, as we're thinking about the process of this. Is it is... When, when it comes to the actual voting, it's not the athletic directors. It's the presidents and chancellors, the leaders of these schools. Now, I would get it if it's like, hey, we're forming an, an academic alignment, but we're not. We're forming an athletics alignment. So to, for my money's worth, it should be the ADs, the one having these conversations, casting the vote as they think about the, the best arrangements for their student athletes. That's what they're thinking about day in and day out. The presidents, they're like, oh, I love how this brings us together with other high level academic institutions. And I get that. That's their job. But it's kind of the same thing. When, when Carolina was in trouble for the AMFAM stuff, the AFAM stuff, excuse me, Ultimately, they didn't get in trouble because it was not an athletics issue. It was an academics issue. You remember that? That's kind of like the way Carolina got lawyered out of that thing. Same thing, but reversed here. This is not an academics issue. It's an athletics issue. And I I do not know that this would have gone through if it was the athletic directors voting on it. I mean, maybe it still does, but I don't know. I'm really curious to see. So that that's an issue I had with all of it. So, so curious to hear more as it all unfolds beyond that, like let's, because it's Carolina, this is more of a basketball centric show, right? Uh, obviously it's just what the majority of you are here for is to talk basketball. Obviously football's there and all the other phenomenal varsity sports that we have at the university of North Carolina. Like it's incredible and great, but Let's, let's just look at the basketball success in history or lack thereof of these three schools coming in. Just two NCAA championships combined between them. <laughs> Let me go school by school. Stanford, one NCAA championship, and it was back in 1942. They did win a Helms championship in 37, so there's that. Two total Final Fours, three Elite Eights, five Sweet Sixteens. In Stanford's history of the you know modern NCAA tournament they've made the second weekend just five times they've won one Pac-12 conference tournament which to be fair didn't exist between 91 and 2001 and that's just Pac-12 you know we're not looking at Pac-10 and, and before they have though won 13 regular season basketball championships so there's that some notable alum let's just go to the twins right you got the Collins twins Jerron and Jason and then the Lopez twins Brooke and Robin. So, I mean, there is some Stanford basketball history, but it ain't a rich tradition. I'll tell you that. Cal, kind of similar. One NCAA championship, 1959. One runner-up the very next year, 1960. Three total Final Fours, both of those years, plus 1946. 
five total elite eights, six sweet 16. So same thing. They've only made the second weekend of the NCAA tournament twice. Zero Pac-12 conference tournament championships, 15 regular season championships. So very similar to Stanford's history of success. Notable players, uh, one of my favorite point guards of all time, Jason Kidd. Also guys like Kevin, KJ, Kevin Johnson, Sharif Abdurrahim. And most prominently right now, obviously, would be Jalen Brown, who's an absolute stud in the NBA. And then as for SMU, uh, just a, a notch, a tier below where those two schools are, but pretty similar. Zero NCAA championships, just one Final Four, that was in 56. Two Elite Eights, 56 and 57. Six Sweet 16s, so pretty comparable there. And then three conference tournament championships, 88, 15, and 17. And then 16 regular season conference championships. Notable alum there. There ain't much with SMU. I uh, look at guys like Quentin Ross, Semi Ojale, Shake Milton, um, got guys like that older, like Jim Krebs. You, you've got some of those names. So not, not a rich basketball history or tradition that these schools are bringing in, which doesn't necessarily help the ACC as you look at, hey, we've been kind of at least – the way the nation is looking at things because of the lower bottom end of the conference kind of down the top end seems to still be doing well, making final fours and other stuff like that. But these schools don't necessarily help that. So we wait to see. Uh, and then a real quick note on the football side of it, the CFP committee met last week to start talking about, all right, we just expanded to 12 teams for the CFP. Does that need to be updated now after all of this realignment that's happened? And they ultimately said, we probably need to have discussions, but we can't ultimately make a decision until we see how things are going to finish out. So now that this has happened, I think they can re-engage in those conversations. Obviously, still got to figure out Oregon State, Washington State, if the AAC is going to play replace SMU, all of these other dominoes. So, woo, you guys, this is wild. But now, my favorite part of this conversation is coming up because the ACC basketball tournament has been at 15 schools and obviously, they're going to have to do something different. Something is going to have to change. They get a year to figure it out. I spent all sorts of time on Friday and over the weekend thinking through some scenarios and possibilities of how they could handle it. And I've got three to suggest to you, including the one that I think is going to be what the ACC goes with. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on these uh, options, which one you would go with, or maybe even something different. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But first, this episode of Locked on Tar Heels is brought to you by FanDuel. Y'all, you know it. The college season has already started. NFL starts this weekend, and they've got incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers can bet 5 bucks and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet that $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use and you can bet on everything from spreads to player props and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season starting Thursday night with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to bring up right now, for those of you watching, what the ACC tournament bracket looked like last year and essentially since the ACC went to 15 teams. By the way, this is a moment to plug. If you're someone who listens, I would encourage you at some point to go check this out so you can see these brackets, see these suggestions, or if you 
aren't into watching, you can go check this out. I've got them all on my Twitter feed, all of the brackets. I actually created brackets for, for these suggestions. So um, anyway, just a way for you to be able to follow along with me as we talk through this. So as things stand currently, the ACC tournament is a five-day event. It starts on Tuesday, and it runs all the way up through the championship on Saturday night. The way it goes is teams 10 through 15 play on day one. So 10, 15, 11, 14, 12, 13. So you got three games on day one. Those games then filter into day two, where um, five through nine seeds have a single buy, and then they all play on day two. Seeds five, six, and seven play the winner of those games from the day before, and then eight and nine play each other to then go play uh, the, the one seed on day three. And then the coveted thing, the thing everyone's trying to get is a top four seed because that's a double buy. You don't start until day three. So teams one, two, three, and four start on Thursday is their first games. And then uh, goes all the way, as I said, through Saturday with the championship on Saturday, day five. So that's where it's at right now, where it's been and will be again this year, the final year of 15 teams before the expansion to 18. So let me propose to you these three potentialities. The first two are going to be what I don't think the ACC will go with, but are legitimate suggestions. And then the third one is what I do believe they will go with. So uh, what you see, if you're watching on screen there, is a standard 16-team bracket, right? Like that's the way it filters down um, with two play-in games that would feature teams 15 through 18. So, so what this means is that on it's still a five-day event in this scenario. Day one would feature teams 15 through 18. So 15 would play 18, 16 would play 17. The winner of 15, 18 would play the two seed on day two. The winner of 16, 17 would play the one seed also on day two. So uh, what this means then is that on day two, uh, you would have had a single buy for teams one through 14, and then they're all in action on day two. There are no double buys in this scenario. And so uh, basically starting on day two, you just run a standard um, 16 team bracket. That means there's going to be a bunch of games that day and probably then means you need a second venue to make it happen. Now, I don't see this happening specifically, not necessarily because of the second venue that you would need. I'm good with that. What I The reason I think is because of competitive advantage slash disadvantage. One of the things that I like about the current format is that you get a big advantage for being a top four seed. You get to save your legs. And also there's a disadvantage for being a lower seed. Uh, you know, five through nine gets an extra day off and then 10 through 15 uh, has to start right away. So I don't see this happening because not enough advantage for the better seeds and not enough disadvantage for the, the uh, worst seeds. Everyone other than five, 15 through 18 starts on the same day. Option one for me, no go. Here is option number two, a little more similar to what currently happens, but still uh, not uh, what I think the ACC will go with. I call option number two the not everyone is allowed to the party approach because as you see for those watching, but I'll obviously explain it for those just listening, there are only 16 teams in this field. Uh, team 17 and 18, sorry about you. You should have had a better regular season. You don't get to participate in the conference tournament. What what this does is still allows for the double and single buy approach. So as you see, uh, it's another five-day event 
on day one, you get teams nine through 16 in action. It makes a ton of sense. You got four games that all works in one venue, nine versus 16, 10 versus 15, and so on and so forth. On day two, teams five through eight will have had a single bye, and then they're in action against the four winners from day one. Um, and then, so you keep moving on. And then day three, same thing as it is right now. Teams uh, seated one through four have a double bye, and then they get into action on day three. You've still got that competitive advantage versus disadvantage. I think it works. Day four, semifinals. Day five, Saturday is the championship. I love this. It's the cleanest looking bracket, but the reason I don't think the ACC will do this is simply because of it not involving every team. Now, I know there are examples of conference tournaments, even within the ACC, that not everyone gets to come to the party. I think soccer is that way, for example. Um, but I think in the basketball tournament, you want to utilize as, as much venue and uh, as much revenue, as much concession as humanly possible. And so you're going to include all 18 teams if you can. Again, I love the cleanliness of this bracket. I love how it just kind of filters forward. But ultimately, I don't think it's the one that ACC will go with. So let's move on to option three. This, on the other hand, is the wackiest looking bracket. But that said, it is the one that I think combines the most of everything. All 18 teams are included. It's still a five-day event. It still includes single and double buys for some of the top seeds. It's fewer single buys, but ultimately everyone's involved. And I think this is what the ACC will go with. So as you look at it, it's double buys for seeds one through four. It's a single buy. Only two teams get a single buy, teams five and six. And then that means that teams seven through 18 are all in action on day one. That's one of the things I kind of like about it is it's a bigger disadvantage for everyone outside the top six and therefore ensures um, that the teams that have performed better in the regular season have an even higher percentage chance of getting uh, to the conference championship or winning the conference championship. So you get all the logical matchups, seven versus 18, eight, 17, and all the way inward on day one. Um, and then day two, you get, um, there are two quads where the, those winners face each other. And then day three would filter in to playing teams one and two. Uh, but then you get some single winners where, uh, like the winner of 12 and, um, who is it? 12 and 13 then would play team five and the winner of that would then play team four. So it's a little bit of a convoluted bracket, but the brackets there, you can see it and make sense of it. So Again, not as many single buys, but every team is represented. The one hitch that we got to pay attention to here is day one would have six games. So there is a possibility you could expand to six days, have three games day one, three games day two, and then move on to the second round on day three. I don't think the ACC would go for that because it would be too much of a competitive disadvantage for the teams that play on day two. And so you don't want to do that. So my thought is that the ACC in this scenario would actually go to two, a two-venue approach. And by the way, shouts to my guy, Patrick Marsh, former Carolina football player, for having some great conversation with me back and forth about this. Um, but a two-venue approach allows you to get those six games in on day one, and then as soon as you get to day two, everyone is in the main facility. 
that is a thing we see all the time and I think is a normal approach to it. And then everything filters in and you still have your championship on Saturday night. I love this. I think it's the approach the ACC will ultimately land on. So once again, I, I would love to hear if, if you think the ACC will do something else or if, if you have another uh, alternative to suggest or, or maybe some tweaks to mine, would love to hear it. Let's have some conversation about it. Friends, that's it for today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels. Thanks so much for tuning in tomorrow. Me and my guy, Coach Pat Kilby, will be here for another roster preview. Make sure you tune in for that. We're going to be talking about transfer Cormac Ryan. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Heels. You can follow me at Isaac Shade. Email the show, Locked on Tar Heels at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe on audio and video formats. For those of you watching, smash the like button to let us know you're here. And again, we'd love your comments on the show. It's always a great day to be a Tar Heel. Hashtag free Tez. And until we talk again tomorrow, peace. <laughs>